is the Dan Grasso Show. But the bottom line is, I mean, the Mets suddenly have this flair for the dramatic. You know, it doesn't matter, I guess, how you're doing it. Just win the damn game. And they're certainly doing that here over the last few days. You get back to 500. You've won three in a row. The kids, the infusion of youth that they've now brought up here from AAA, they're contributing in a big way. And these three straight wins come from behind in all three. A couple of the marathon games, which required extra innings. But like I said, no harm, no foul. Just win the game. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. I got to be honest with you guys, and we're all friends here, right? I have no reason not to be honest. Listening back to that little rejoin clip, I sound terrible. Harvey, why didn't you tell me? You mean to tell me that um, throughout the first hour, right? Yeah. And I guess even before that, when you know we had a little, a little pre-show meeting. Sure. That you didn't notice yourself that you were a bit off today? I know. I, I know. It was even worse before the show started. It was even worse. But now listening back to that, I mean, it goes one of two ways. Number one, people hear that. They turn it off because this guy sounds terrible. Or it's like they're listening out of sympathy. You know, here's this guy who clearly is not 100% right now, but he's battling. He's fighting. He's doing whatever it takes to bring his team home to a victory. You so, say I, sympathy. I would say pity. You, well, isn't that the same thing, though? Oh, Isn't no. that the same thing? And and you know what? Just to, just to further reinforce your point, our next guest has agreed to join the program today out of pity more than anything else. He really doesn't want to do it. Uh, I mean, you know, he, he, he would rather be doing other things right now. But nevertheless, just wrapped up season number one as the head coach of the XFL St. Louis Battlehawks. Got screwed out of making the playoffs because of some bogus tiebreaker rules with the league, which we'll have to take up with the Rock down the road. But anyway... He is our good pal, former New York Jet. He is Anthony Becht. Good morning, my friend. How are you? You got to raise your game, Dan. You know, when I come on the show, man, I need 110%. I'm giving you that. My famous halftime game speech or whatever it is, man. Give me a call before the show starts. I'll get you going. And and I appreciate that as always. But you know I'm here. I'm battling. I'm playing. I'm doing what I got to do, man. Come on. No excuses. We got to bring it home a winner today. Um, Anyway, in all seriousness, Congratulations to you, in a, which was a very successful first season. You at the helm as a head coach. Um, what were you guys seven and three this year? Right, seven and three. We were, yeah, seven, seven and, three. and three. And ironically enough, the team that ends up winning the championship, Bob Stoops's team in Arlington, they had a worse record than you guys did, and they end up winning the whole damn thing. How did that sit with you? Yeah, I mean, let's we you know the the season we put in um, was fantastic. You know, had a really good roster, good players. We picked a really good team. Um, you know, heck, two of their starters were off of our roster of guys that we cut uh, during preseason. We had about ten guys additionally that started throughout the league from our original roster of seventy when we brought it down to fifty-one. So, um, you know, look, obviously the rules were the first two teams in each division. Our division was a little front-loaded with uh, three of the four teams being really good. Um, we split with Seattle, who was also 7-3, and three, and then it got into some, you know, some tiebreaker scoring numbers, which all of our uh, tiebreaker rules, by the way, are NFL tiebreaker rules. The problem is you don't get about four or five of them before that because there's no conferences and, right. you know, and things of that nature. So it kind of jumps right down to the numbers, which we'll probably never in the, in, in ever see in the NFL. But, um, you know, look, I think 
moving forward, the league will make some adjustments and then probably change that. doesn't help us now. But uh, just proud of our team, proud of my staff, um, proud of the city of St. Louis. Dan, the crowd was pretty oh. unbelievable. I mean, 30, 35 to 38,000 fans every single game at, the, at home. And they were rocking, man. They they rocked it out like it was a Super Bowl for us every single week. And it was great for the players to play in front of that as well. Hell, there were some of the away players that were coming in were actually excited to play at our home, which shouldn't have to be. But uh, we did lead the way in attendance, which was awesome. So, uh, yeah, all in all, man, got a little bit of everything my first year as a head coach. And, um, you know, really just wanted to provide a winner for the city uh, among, you know, just having other goals in general but uh, that was the most important thing and these guys stepped up and played well this year and you really did that too and I remember you know shoot it's got to be going back close to a couple of years now I remember when you and I were talking and you told me that this opportunity was was going to happen and then when you told me it was St. Louis I I was immediately excited because like you said you know St. Louis is a good football city and they've been starving for football ever since the Rams packed up and left to go to Los Angeles and you just outlined it there with the attendance. I mean, you guys were drawn probably, on average, 20,000 more people than maybe all the other teams were getting. And, and it was, you know, uh, I mean, you, you wouldn't know the difference if you were watching an NFL game or, or, or you guys when you put on the, the TV on Saturdays. I mean, you guys packed that dome, and it makes matters a little bit easier, I would think, just getting fired up to play when you know you got that type of support and enthusiasm every time you step out on your home field there. No question. I mean, it was exciting coming out of the tunnels, the announcements. Players really got to be celebrated uh, for playing uh, on our team. And uh, it provided a spark on third downs, fourth downs, when our defense was on the field. So um, it was great, man. It was great. And that's part of the development process, quite frankly, for the players. Because, you know, one, you can be out there playing and going through situations and showing your talents, but to, to rise up and pressure situations for both teams, whether it's the way or home, just, you know, playing uh, in front of the, the crowd noise and, and being able to kind of succumb that, beat that, and, and have success. I mean, that that's what you, the NFL wants. They want players that could rise up in those moments when it's noisy and, and things are, you know, kind of against, against your back a little bit. So, um, you know, really productive year. You know, as much as I – want to have all my players back next year part of my obligation to them which i promised them in the first team meeting is i wanted to get them back to the nfl and we had about 15 or 16 guys so far uh, go to mini camps throughout the nfl over the last couple weeks and i believe five or six guys have signed contracts for for next year and if they make the team they're well on their way to you know the, the success of their dreams so uh, we may have a few down the road. We do have some older, mature players that probably don't need to come in initially right off the jump. But uh, we'll see how it works out. But we got a draft coming up, cranking in June, for some of the guys that were in the mini camps this year, the, dra- uh, the rookie mini camps in the league that didn't make it. And, you know, we could secure some of their, their rights heading into our season. And we'll have a few more supplemental, smaller drafts for guys that get cut in preseason and come from other leagues. And then, of course, at the end of the year, uh, you know, if they want to decide to come with us or sign an NFL futures deal, which is kind of an interesting conversation, uh, not to get too deep, but, you know, a futures deal guarantees a player on the team for the offseason. It doesn't guarantee them anything, really. It's, it's technically almost having an extra body for the team they're allowed to have, whereas they could come with us, and if they live up to their expectations and they play well, now they're opened up to the entire league again. And we try to sell that, and some agents trying to do diligence for their players. But at the same token, 
if the player is honest with himself, he needs to be on the field, not on the sidelines, lifting weights and not playing. He needs to be playing the game and continuing his dream. And if he lives up and, and steps up and does his deal, then he can be right back where he wants to be for, in front of the other you know, 30-plus teams in the NFL. No doubt about it. And, look, you had a lot of guys who, who fit the bill. I mean, I was bothering you and texting you, you know, after games and, you know, this guy and that guy. And, you know, you certainly have players who fit the mold there. And it's good to see that they're going to be given opportunities here to catch on in the league. We're talking with Anthony Becht here on 98.7 ESPN. All right, as far as the um, NFL is concerned here with the Jets and – you know, you're going to be doing some stuff, of course, again with us, which is good. You know, we can't let St. Louis have you entirely. So we got to, of course, you know, put you to work during the football season. And this promises to be probably one of the more exciting Jets seasons we've had since you and I have been doing this uh, covering the team here. But let's start with uh, Will McDonald, their first-round pick out of Iowa State, because you got a little bit of intel on him because your son, of course, Rocco, quarterback at uh, Iowa State, teammates with him last year. What can you tell us about this pass rusher the Jets are getting? Yeah, you know, Will's a different kind of animal now as far as a pass rusher. Very, very flexible, very fluent spin move. Can do a lot of different things one-on-one on the edge, which I'm sure he'll be playing 99% of the time for the Jets in situational third downs. Versus the run, you know, obviously not the biggest guy, but the thing about him is he played inside the tackle position uh, of the interior defensive line the whole year, basically the last two seasons, for about 85% of the time. So, yeah, he's lighter, but he can get in the mix. He has to be handled appropriately because of the fact that he's really good with his hands. He can get off guys. He's hard to hold up. You know, I think about, and again, this is just when you look at guys, you know, Jason Taylor, probably a little taller, but when you're talking about weight-wise, the guy understood how to use his arms. He was hard to get into, very quick and different type of barrage of moves on the outside became a guy that got stronger over the years, and that combination made him one of the best. Maybe Will McDonald can land in that that position down the road, but as far as just putting him on an island, I would definitely wouldn't be. It would be an unnerving, unnerving kind of one-on-one matchup for really any tackle because of the fact that he is just a, a go-getter too, as well with the move. So he's got extreme um, motor behind him on every single snap. So he's a great kid comes from nothing, man. The kid just made it to the top, and, and I'm happy for him, man. He's super productive, one of the most productive defensive players in the Big 12 history, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what he's got. I mean, listen, this, this defense, as we all know, with the, with the Jets is young and hungry, and we got some experienced players thinking around. You know, you can't just worry about a pass rusher on the outside. So when you got a strong interior and some other players, man, he's going to have those one-on-one matchups, and I, I think he can be a guy, a guy that can press in for those – close to that double-digit area if he's used properly. And uh, I think it's a good pick. And, and he can play the run now. He can chase it down. I've seen him run down running backs on the backside very fast, very explosive, and he goes. He does not stop, and you'll see that in the game. So he'll be a guy that will get close a lot. You know, if he doesn't pull him down, he's going to hit him. He's going to knock him. Uh, he's going to harry him. And those are valuable skills as well when you're talking about a pass rusher. And, and, you know, a guy with, the, you know, some of the veterans that they already have on that defensive line, you know, he's not going to be someone who's asked to come in here as a rookie and, you know, play right away, play significant snaps. You know, they're going to use him situationally. I would, you know, I, I, man, I would man. I, you I, would. I would play him right. I, I'd get him out there. Like, listen. Well, he'll be know, part of the rotation. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I'm saying, you know, I'm not starting. I mean, you know, like I said, right. first, second down, you got to 
but but yeah, man, let, let's go. Let's use him. Like I mean, you know, there were a few guys like Jermaine John that wasn't used as much, and he was still learning and growing. Much more fluent, much more better pass rusher than him as far as his general skills. So, I mean, you know, he's going to be used. He should be used often, and uh, hopefully, there's production there behind it. Well, I mean, and look, a lot of these draft choices they made this year with an eye down the road, of course. I mean, in a perfect world, in a couple of years, you know, Will McDonald, Jermaine Johnson, they're their starting bookend on the defensive line. That, that, that's what their hope is, you know, with having these two guys no now question. in the first round in back-to-back seasons. But, you know, and plus, you know how Robert Sala likes to run that defensive line. They like to keep the bodies fresh. They like to shuttle guys yeah. in and out of there. So to have as many players as possible that you can have going after the quarterback, he's going to be one of them. I mean, make no mistake about it, but he's not going to be somebody who's playing, you know, 40 snaps a game. I mean, they don't even ask no, that yeah, Quinn Williams for crying out loud. No question. What do you think about um, – this upgrade at the quarterback position. <laughs> I mean, what else do you want, Dan? I mean, listen, I'm excited. It's it's pretty awesome, to be quite frank. It's, it's got to be surreal for a lot of fans. I mean, it's been talked about for, you know, whatever, a year maybe. But, um, you know, you don't really believe it till it happens because you just think there's no way something like this could happen, you know, with an organization like the Jets just because of the fact that the quarterback play is it's, – it's been a while now. It's been a minute since they've had somebody like that. Um, it's incredible, man. I'm telling you now, this team is automatically in the top tier of the league. You know, they stay healthy, knock on wood. The weapons that they have, Brees Hall comes back healthy, knock on wood. Uh, defensively, what they have coming back. Um, you know, the playoffs is just foreseen deal for me as I, as I look at it, you know, on paper. But, you know, how far can they make the push? Are they – or do they have enough – team togetherness uh wherewithal to make the push where obviously everybody wants to be all the other teams in the league uh, i think that may may be a two-year process but i believe that they're going to be right there to make that push and um there's no reason why it shouldn't you know talking to you know joe douglas last year year before you know the plan you know year one year two year three when we get to year three we have to make that move and um you know, this is it. That's this is the play. This is the piece that you know. Quite frankly, nobody really has at that level except you can count on one hand of those teams right. at the caliber level of, of an Aaron Rodgers. So, um, looks like he's all in. He's there. He's training. He's building. You know, the team, the the everything he has to do early on that you would normally probably. You know, you think like that would be so-so, but he, he for a guy that's 40 years old that wants to be there, I love it. I think it's great. And he steps in, and he's another offensive coordinator on the field because everything he's coming into, he knows to the T on what Nathaniel Hackett, whereas in a similar situation with Tom Brady, there wasn't a lot of that early on, and it, it affected the play of the team. They won the Super Bowl that year. It took them some time. But, man, I remember Brady talking about, you know, a lot of this was, you know, was a different language for him. It was just hard to pick it all up. And even though they had some things that kind of blended with what he was good at, it was still the verbiage was trying to get that down. It's the reverse now. And I like yep. it the other side, you know, you, everybody else has to pick up and learn it and it's not going to be any, there'll be the same conceptual things they've been through in, in, uh, in the past with LaFleur, but it'll just be a little different now from, from a, a verbiage standpoint, but this offense that they'll be in, I mean, the fact that the quarterback can literally walk on the field and, and run the entire playbook is severe is just a, an ultimate factor for this football team. 
and uh, it's only going to help them get better faster. A thousand percent. That's the big difference. Everybody wants to link, you know, what happened 15 years ago with Brett Favre. It's like difference was, I mean, among other things, that happened so late in the offseason. Well, the preseason had started already, but Favre was having to learn a whole new system. Rodgers, meantime, he knows this. He's going to be the one trying to help teach it to the other players. So that is a huge, huge step forward when trying to compare the two, though. Um, Thanks for spending a few minutes with us this morning, my friend. And again, congratulations on a great season at the helm of your team there in St. Louis. Good luck with the upcoming draft here in a few weeks. And uh, we look forward to seeing you here this summer when you come uh, come to town and we get ready to start doing some of these games. You got it, Dan. Look forward to seeing you this summer, man. Be well. All right, be good. There's our buddy Anthony Beck, coach of the Battlehawks, and also part of our coverage here on 98.7 ESPN when it comes to the New York Jets. 800-919-3776. That's the telephone number. We'll get your phone calls. And also, we'll get into the passing here on the legend of the great Jim Brown. Dan Gross, the show till noon right here on 98.7 ESPN. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Again, still no word yet on the Met game for this afternoon. A lot of people interested in that. If anything comes down here over the next little while, we will let you know. But the forecast is not very promising. 800-919-3776. Thanks to our buddy Anthony Becht for hopping on with us, talking a little football. And speaking of football, um, you know, Jim Brown, obviously – not everybody saw him play. I didn't see him play. But somebody who has an appreciation for the history of the game, you know, studies the game, knows about, you know, the guys that kind of paved the way for the product that we have right now. And I said this a little bit earlier in the show. Anytime, you know, the discussion of the GOAT, the greatest of all time, and, and that's one of my issues with kind of the way sports is covered now. And not just with football, but with anything. Right. When, when when somebody does something, you know, it's oh, it's the best I ever saw. Greatest of all time. Greatest. This, 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 you know, because it happened five minutes ago. You don't allow your mind to expand just because it's happening now is not the best that ever did it or ever was. OK, you have to take things relative into which the era in which they played. And that's why when we talk about the greatest of all time with football, I always say. There isn't anybody who's better than Jim Brown. If you know the game, nobody can ever come out and say definitively is better than Jim Brown, right? Maybe there were some that were as good, but nobody can actually stand up and, and claim to be better at football than Jim Brown was. You know, when I'm thinking the Mount Rushmore of, of, of NFL players, you know, Jim Brown, you know, you throw Brady on there, Jerry Rice, and, you know, Lawrence Taylor, best defensive player that there ever was. That's, that, that's the Mount Rushmore. But to me, Jim Brown is the greatest football player there ever was. You think about the era in which he played, where the running back was the focal point of an offense, not the quarterback like it is today. You know, teams barely threw the ball back then. It was the run game. 
And Jim Brown, for crying out loud, was a fullback. And he was carrying the load. But a guy who, for the era and the time in which he played, there were no equals. Like, not, not even close to equals. And this is a guy who went out at the top of his game. You know, he was 30 years old. Played for nine years. Think about that. And made an impact and, and, and left a mark, which, you know, is almost unparalleled. When you think about what this guy did. Played nine years. He was a first-team All-Pro eight times. The only non-quarterback to win the MVP three times. <laughs> I mean... The only guy in the history of the game to average over 100 yards rushing per game. Per game. And you think about that time when people were so fixated on the run game. You had 11 guys on defense who essentially knew that he was getting the ball and were selling out to try to stop him, and they still couldn't do it. He would just take guys and either run over them, run through them, run with them, it didn't matter. And you think about the innovations that, you know, have kind of paved the way to the modern game to which we all consume and we love today. Part of those innovations were designed to help counter Jim Brown. You know, Tom Landry, the late, great Tom Landry, okay? He was the guy who invented the 4-3 defense. You know, the Cowboys, they played that flex defense. And part of the reason that Landry came up with the 4-3, with, of course, you know, the four defensive linemen, is to free up the middle linebacker. And in his case, when he was the defensive coordinator with the football giants, that was Sam Huff. And to free up Sam Huff to be able to go make plays, and a lot of times those battles with Jim Brown and the Cleveland Browns. You know, how can we go about stopping this guy? Because he was a game-breaker, just like, you know, all the stories about You know, the blindside tackle, you know, Washington and Joe Gibbs trying to slow down Lawrence Taylor and the havoc that he would wreak coming off the edge on the pass rush, right? I mean, the great players, the all-time greats, are what forces the game to change and to grow. But he was more than just a football player as an athlete. I mean, he was one of the greatest athletes we ever had. I mean, he's one of the greatest lacrosse players that we've ever seen. You know, moved to Manhasset, Long Island, up to Syracuse, played track, ran track, played basketball, and, of course, football. When you talk about his accomplishments on the football field, there aren't many that could ever claim to be on equal footing as Jim Brown. Not even close. I mean, his last year in the league, he won the rushing title, and I think he was like 600 yards plus ahead of the next guy. Like, that's how much better he was than everybody else. And I guess, they, you know, last time I saw him at anything publicly or whatever, I guess he was at the NFL Honors Show this past year in, in February, a few months ago. And look, I mean, he was looking his age, and last time he did an interview on TV that I saw, you could see that he was slowing down a little bit. I mean, that's going to happen, right? I mean, he's, you know, pushing 90 years old. But, and it's no secret that, you know, he he wasn't perfect off the field. You know, things that um, happened later on in his life, you know, in, uh, in involving women and so on and so forth. I mean, that's not commendable in any way, shape, or form here. But if you're talking about the football player and the athlete, 
You know, that that name rings true. And and it's going to, you know, carry on forever because there's never going to be another Jim Brown. And, you know, as long as, you know, I'm a football fan, I'm still going to say Jim Brown's greatest football player of all time. You know, case closed. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Let's say hi to Mitch. He's in East Windsor. He's up next year on 98.7. Mitch, how are you? Good, Dan. How are you doing today? Mitch, I'm doing outstanding. What's going on with you? Oh, it's going. I'm going to start my start my vacation. It's great. My grandson. Nice L- little little staycation. Or are you going away? Little bossy family down in Virginia. My nice. Mom, uh, really, my mom's getting up there. She, she, she's ninety one. God bless her. Uh, I'm thinking. You know what I'm, I'm thinking? Gonna, yeah. I'm thinking a little camera crew follow you down there. How about Mitch hits Virginia? We can make it like a little documentary special for the summer months. What do you think? I'll do it pro. I'll do it pro bono. There you go. See, Mitch knows. You got to check it with the boss, the big boss. There you go. The band crew. (laughs) Um, You know, Jim Brown, he's amazing. He was really good in in, um, baseball, basketball, track. It's it's, it's insane. What an athlete. I think he was the Bo Jackson of his time. And if if he had played in his time, uh, he would have had the Russian record. He would have had everything. He left on his own time. You know, like the old George Costanza? Yeah. On a good note? Well, left on a high. And maybe that's why. Left on a high. There you go. No more than me. Well, and, and you know, that's, that's why the, curse. Well, that's the thing. You know, that's Cleveland. the thing with records and all this other stuff, Mitch. And that's why that's one of the things that's wrong with the way people interpret games and stuff today is that they just look at numbers and numbers. And those things change with the passing of time. I mean, Jim Brown, first off, when he broke into the NFL, they were only playing 12 games. And then when he said goodbye, they were only playing 14 Okay, he didn't play 16 game seasons, and he sure as hell didn't play 17 game seasons. So it's all relative to the era in which they played. That's why records and rushing and all this stuff, like, it's silly to me. And that's one of the things that drives me crazy now with quarterbacks and how they're evaluated. Because all these yo yos do is they look at the numbers yeah. and they say, oh, this guy's thrown. Like, you see these statistics now, like, the quarterbacks who've thrown for the most touchdown passes in the first four years of their career, like, four of the top five are guys that are playing currently. Okay, do you mean to tell me that they're the four of the greatest quarterbacks of all time? No, it's because all they do is throw the ball now, plus they have an extra game to work with. Of course they're going to have more touchdown passes. It's ridiculous, but people take that as gospel, Mitch, and it drives me nuts. All you got to do is throw 250 yards a game, and you got 4,000 right there in the bank. I'll leave these two names, and one more thing you have to interview there. Uh, Jim Thorpe, Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson, uh, he would have been just as good as as, um, Jim Brown, and he played two sports. Wish he could have stayed healthy. Yeah, that that was he was cursing with Gail says Jim Thorpe, you no know, gold baseball, football. You know, I know I don't know why it was this big crime. And um I don't think they should expand in football. St. Louis, San Diego and especially Oakland. How about add four teams but play, you know, a couple of games less? It's just mm. too much wearing tear. Playing in Germany, yeah. you know, what's that, China next. You know what the problem? You know what the problem is, Mitch. You know what the problem with that is. And I thank you for the phone call. Have fun in Virginia. Don't get into too much trouble down there. Um, problem is, is I, I think we got enough teams. To be quite honest with you, we got an, we got thirty two teams. That's more than enough. You know, and it sucks that you know the Chargers had to leave San Diego because I still think of them as San Diego. It stinks that the Raiders left Oakland. Right, they're always going to be the Oakland Raiders, but it doesn't mean we need to put more teams there. Right, we got enough teams. But I agree with you about the international games. We don't need all that stuff. I mean, who who is that helping other than getting their wallets full with the NFL? 
Nobody cares. You think people in Germany care that the you know Chiefs are coming over there to play a game or the Colts are coming over? They, they don't care. But if you told them that Bayern Munich is going to play a couple of extra soccer games, that'll, that'll get them going, you know? But, you know, to, to Mitch's point, though, about, you know, these records and, and, and to what we're talking about, like, you know, once upon a time, if a running back ran for 1,000 yards, that was considered significant. Oh, he had a 1,000-yard season. That's great. Now it doesn't mean as much because you're playing 17 games, right? Like, you, you play 17 games, and if you're a running back and you run for 1,000 yards, what are you averaging? You're averaging, like, 60 yards a game, and we should throw a party for you? Jim Brown, in, in years where they were playing only 14 games, was running for 1,800 yards a year. Think about that. That's insane. And that's why, you know, people who don't know what the hell they're talking about and just like to look at numbers, they go on their internet, you know, in the geek squad and then type in their favorite website and look up statistics and blah, blah, blah. And they want to throw shade at a guy like Joe Namath and say, oh, he was overrated. He threw more interceptions than he did touchdowns. Well, you realize Joe Namath, back when they only played 14 games, Joe Namath was the first quarterback in the history, the history of professional football, NFL, AFL, whatever, to throw for over 4,000 yards in a season. In an era where they weren't throwing the ball as much as they do today, and he had 14 games to do it and threw for over 4,000 yards. It wasn't a scrub. Fortunately, injuries took a toll on him. But dude could play, you know? Not in the Hall of Fame by accident. It wasn't, it wasn't a mistake. But people only want to look at numbers, and it's unfortunate. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Speaking of numbers... Miami Heat are only two wins away from the NBA Finals. And if you're a Knicks fan, you're probably saying to yourself, where have we seen this before? Because it's rearing its head again. This time, Boston's on the other end of it. We'll talk about the Eastern Conference Finals. We return. Dan Gross' show we roll till noon right here on 98.7 ESPN. Ooh, the Germans! This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. All those games... Um... More than anything, it just makes you realize how tough it is. Uh, it, it really is tough, um, you know, to win. It's even tougher to win in the playoffs. Uh, and then you're playing against a, a very good basketball team in Boston. You know, we've, we've just had a lot of uh, reps on learning how to deal with a lot of different emotions. I mean, there were, there were so many different uh, ebbs and flows of, of that game. You know, you, you start to wrap your mind around that it's going to be a long game, 48 minutes, and you got to win skirmishes. You know, we had to battle through deficits in both halves, uh, but we showed that grit and perseverance uh, to be able to hang in there and then, you know, make some plays. That's Eric Spolstra. He's two wins away from going back to the NBA Finals. Dan Gross' show, 98.7 ESPN on this Saturday morning. Seen this movie before, though, haven't we? Right? I mean, we just, just got done watching it last couple of weeks with this Miami Heat team, and they kind of just, like, they, they, they suck the life out of you over the course of 48 minutes. That's what they do. You know, every time you kind of think that you have a shot or you got a chance and you're maybe going to get a win out of it, they just find ways to make plays. And I know that Jimmy Butler is the ringleader, and he does his thing, and especially – in the fourth quarters of these games, you know, you talk about closing, you talk about finishing. I, I, I mean, the guy's an assassin. No other way around it. He might not even be the guy you want on your team all throughout the regular season. You might have other guys who are going to be more accomplished and so on and so forth. But in the playoffs, 
I mean, there ain't a lot of guys that you'd rather have leading your team than this guy because he's proven it now time and time and time again. You know, and there's guys like that in, in, in all the sports that they just seem to rise to the occasion come playoff time. And this team as a whole, how many times have we seen them coming from behind, on the road, right? Fourth quarter, Jimmy, on top of that, speaks for itself. And last night, if you didn't see it, and somebody's got to examine this dude's head and, and, and just, you know, what is going on in that mind. But the Celtics in control of the game, got a nine-point lead in the fourth quarter on your home floor. You're thinking, all right, going to bounce back, going to even up this series, and let's go down to Miami and play best out of five the rest of the way. And then you got Grant Williams of all people. Grant Williams. We're not talking about, you know, Bird, Parrish, or McHale. Grant Williams decides to poke the bear, as they like to say. Gets all up in Jimmy Butler's grill. Starts talking that trash. Thinking there's no bears. way the Celtics are going to lose this game. You poke we the got bear! him dead to rights. We got him right where we want him. Nope. And what Grant Williams did potentially, potentially just cost the Celtics a chance to go to the NBA Finals. Because right after that incident, Miami goes on a 20-4 run, and they got a 2-0 lead in this series. I mean, how? How, 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 and why, more importantly? And Jimmy, after the game, you know what? He didn't shy away from it. Here's Jimmy Butler after the game when he was asked about that incident with Grant Williams. Take a listen. Yes, it did. Um, but that's just competition at its finest. Um, he hit a big shot, started talking to me. I like that. I'm, I'm all for that. It, it makes me key in a lot more. It pushes that will that I have to win a lot more. It makes me smile. It, it does. When, when people talk to me, I'm like, okay, I know I'm, I'm a decent player if you want to talk to me out of everybody that you can talk to. I don't know. It's just, it's just competition. I, I, I do respect him, though. He, he's a big part of what they try to do. He switches. He can shoot the ball. Um, I just don't know if I'm the best person to talk to. Isn't that great that after he rips your heart out, he's going to be modest about it, right? And I'm sure that they got that talking to in the locker room afterwards, whether it was Spolstra, whether it's the message that's, you know, kind of imparted all the way down from Pat Riley upstairs. Right? Don't give the other team any bulletin board material. Don't give them a reason to find any extra motivation. If you need extra motivation this time of year, there's a problem anyways. But you think about what the Heat just did. They went up into Boston, and they just won both games. And now we're firmly in control of this series. But you don't have to think for a second that in that Celtics locker room, they're not all looking at Grant Williams a little cross-eyed after that. Because you know what? Jalen Brown, and we'll get to him in a second, but Jalen Brown after the game last night, he was asked about that altercation and whether or not that changed the complexion of the game. Take a listen to this. Did Grant Williams make a mistake poking the bear with Jimmy Butler? Next question. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Of course he did. But Grant Williams, not a popular guy. Won't be a popular guy on that flight down to South Beach a little bit later on this afternoon. I don't know if he's going to have anybody wanting to uh, snuggle up next to him on the old team charter. That's what I think. And I'll tell you, last night, again, 
And it's almost becoming easy at this point. Not exactly a, 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 a Joe Missoula masterclass, once again, on the sidelines. First of all, and there's so many things you can nitpick, and it's a lot easier, too, when your team is losing like this. Number one, maybe, just maybe, the thought will enter your mind at some point to throw a double team at Jimmy Butler while he's just destroying you down one end of the floor. As I said earlier in the show, like, you know, maybe the thought will pop into his mind while he's sitting on the beach in Cabo in a couple of weeks while the Heat are in the NBA Finals and the Celtics season is over. Hmm, you know what? Maybe I should have uh, double-teamed Jimmy Butler because one guy can't stop him. Then on the other end of the floor, absolutely no answers whatsoever for Miami's zone defense. None. None, 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 none. Okay. And then again, remember, we got on him for the timeouts in game one in the, heat, in the third quarter where Miami just completely blew the doors off the barn. And last night, when they were down by, I think it was five, all right, still a two-possession game, but you never know. You've seen crazier things happen in the game, right? They're down by five. There was like nine seconds left in the game. Still has a timeout in his pocket. Doesn't use it to at least advance the ball advance the ball at least to get you a little bit closer to get a quick bucket potentially make it a one score game you never know what happens he said now nah, i like i don't joe, joe Mazzula must collect timeouts you know everybody's got hobbies everybody you know other people you know collect things whether it's baseball cards whether it's stamps whether it's memorabilia whatever it is joe Mazzula collects timeouts that's the only thing i could think of has people over his house. He's got like a trophy case, and inside them are all timeouts. Now, those aren't tangible things, of course, timeouts. So I don't know how he would designate what they are if he wants to, like, brag about them and show them. But, you know, last night he's going to have this was, this was game two Eastern Conference Finals 2023. Like, does he have, like, the stat sheet maybe tacked up on the wall? Like this timeout that went unused? Because for the life of me, I can't understand why he doesn't want to use these timeouts. Boy. And the, and, and the thing that keeps like replaying in my mind over and over and over again is I'm thinking about all these other coaches that have lost their jobs since the season ended, who've accomplished more on the sidelines than Joe Mazzullo, and they're looking for work, and this guy's got a job still. My gosh. Jalen Brown, you know, and, and I liked his answer in the press conference, but Jalen Brown, and I talked him up yesterday too. He was MIA again. Second time in this series, nowhere to be found when his team needed him. And Jason Tatum, great player, as we know, great player. By and large, had a good game last night. But again, no field goals in the fourth quarter. What is happening? Did not make a basket in the fourth quarter. Finally scored a point, and it had to come from the free throw line until there was less than a minute left in the game. What's happening with this guy at home in the final quarter where your team needs you the most? Now, do I think the series is over? No, probably not. Because the Celtics are good, number one. And number two, the Celtics have actually been better on the road. I mean, for a team that's had as much success as the Celtics last couple of years, they've been terrible at home in the playoffs. Terrible. But they got to win tomorrow. Have to. Because they're not coming back if they're down 0-3. But what a buzzkill. I thought this series was going to be a lot more competitive. And instead, it's just been same old, same old. Miami flexing their muscles when they have to. 800-919-3776. We'll get to your calls. 
some thoughts on tonight's game as well. We'll get into the Knicks situation too. What potentially could lie ahead for them come summertime. Dan Gross' show, 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Let's say hi to Mike in Manhattan. He's up next here on 98.7. Michael, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Dan. Um, before I get to my Jimmy point, are you, uh, are you coming June 1st? I'm trying. You know, like I said, that's still a couple of weeks away. I got to see what I have going on that day. But I, I'm making every effort. I've told Lonnie, I've told the guys, I'm going to try to get out there. But for sure, I'd like to make it happen. Yeah, it'd be awesome, man. Love to see you. Do a great job with the Jets. Appreciate um, it. Anyway, my, my, my question is with the um, Jimmy Butler, I'm trying to think of another player that's, you know, good in the regular season, but just unbelievable in the playoffs. There's plenty of opposite. Great in the play, uh, regular season and terrible in the playoffs. But I don't know of one other guy that's quite like Jimmy. Do you have any examples? I think you have those guys in all sports. You know what I mean? Not just necessarily in basketball. Like I, the, the thing that jumps to my mind is pitchers, right? Like you have pitchers, for example, that are just like – and I'm not saying that Jimmy is this guy in the regular season, but – you know, you got pitchers who are just like, you know, good to sometimes very good in the regular season, but in the playoffs they become Hall of Famers, right? Like, remember remember back in the day with the Yankees, like, El Duque was always like, you know, a lights out come playoff time. David Wells was that. David Wells, you know, he was a good pitcher during the regular season. All-star times and this and that, but in the big game, in the postseason, there weren't many guys that you'd rather have with the baseball on the mound than a guy like David Wells. See, the difference between Jimmy and a pitcher, though, is that Jimmy's out there every day. And that's why oh, I, I, I just don't – I don't know if there's another comparison, a football player, even – I just don't think that there's another player in all of sports quite like Jimmy. Well, the thing about it is, though, you have guys. Like, if you look at, you know, MVPs and so on and so forth, it, it's a lot of, like, unheralded-type players, you know. But Jimmy Butler, the, the thing that's unique about him, though, Mike, and I thank you for the phone call, he, here, here's where the thing is with, with, with Butler. Jimmy Butler's an all-NBA player. He's not a scrub. Far from it. You know, he is an all-NBA player. He's one of the top ten players probably in the NBA. He deserves that recognition. Problem is, is he plays for a team that doesn't necessarily go full bore in the regular season. He plays for a team that's built for the playoffs. So you don't have a team that necessarily is like box office for the regular season in 82 games. But come playoff time, they're there. Now, granted, last year they were high in the standings, right? Went all the way to the conference finals. This year, you know, they were the eighth seed. All right, two hours down. One more to play with here. We'll get into some Knicks stuff here in the final hour. And also, also, you know, all this optimism about the football teams with the Jets and the Giants and the work that they've done during the offseason. But maybe it's not as well received nationally. We'll get into all that as we move forward here over the next 60 minutes. Dan Grasso with you on a Saturday, 98.7 ESPN.